fairly known, well-known pastor and Christian author named Max Lucado wrote about a time in, a, in his life when he realized he had fallen into blatant hypocrisy. And it had to do with his, his drinking habit. Max Lucado grew up in a family where there was alcohol problems and he knew that his DNA and drinking didn't really mix, so he swore off alcohol at a at a young age, and he was also part of a church tradition where uh, he, he, he was, he's not an Anglican priest. He was part of a church tradition where they, 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 they frown upon alcohol consumption. And so he, he said, you know, I'm just not going to touch it. But then when he got older, this craving for beer began to assert itself, and um, he decided to give it a go. But he didn't want to do it in front of his family, and he didn't want to do it in public, He didn't want his parishioners to see. And so he started, he writes about how he started going to a convenience store and buying alcohol in a black bag and taking it into his car and drinking it in the parking lot of a convenience store. And then one day it kind of dawned on him as he, he made a stop to do this before he was going to talk to a men's retreat. And he just felt at that moment that he had been, as he said, a hypocrite. He, he said, I have become something I hate, a pretender, two-faced, living one way, acting another. And he says, it really wasn't about the beer. It was about the cover-up. I was doing this in secret, being somebody in public that, that, that I really wasn't in private. And so that was, that day was a wake-up call for Max Lucado. And uh, he, he began to then let God deal with the sin and the hypocrisy in his life. And this is what the Lord wants to do in all of our lives as his disciples. He wants to lead us to a, a place away from hypocrisy into greater freedom and authenticity and holiness. And this passage that we read about in our, in our gospel reading will help us to move to that place of of greater authenticity and holiness and and away from hypocrisy. Because Jesus is confronting the scribes and the Pharisees over their hypocrisy. In in, in fact, the beginning of this chapter, which we don't have in the bulletin, but the beginning of chapter 15 starts with Jesus denouncing the scribes and the Pharisees as being hypocrites. He, He quotes from Isaiah chapter 29, and he says to the scribes and Pharisees, they'd come down from Jerusalem. They were like the the theological purity commission being sent from the center of power from Jerusalem to to check Jesus out. And, And Jesus, quoting Isaiah 29, says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The problem of the Pharisee, the problem with the Pharisees in Jesus' day is that they had placed such a premium on external appearance. And when you begin to do that in your spiritual life, place such a stress on outward appearance, that's a breeding ground. For hypocrisy. And that's what was going on with the Pharisees in Jesus' day. The issue, the central issue here, was ritual hand washing. 
Jesus and his disciples did not practice this ritual hand washing that the Pharisees did. And uh, it, it wasn't, again, it wasn't washing for the sake of hygiene. It was a ritual practice. It was, it was a way to signify to themselves and to other people that they were holy. And um, the Pharisees developed this practice. They, they had a, a right motivation. They had a good motivation in developing this practice. You see, they wanted to honor God in all things. They understood that God was present everywhere, not just in the temple, but God was present in their home. And, and so the question is, how can we honor this God in, in, in whom we, we dwell in his presence, not just in the temple, but in our home, at the dinner table, as we're eating? How can we honor this God? How can we be pure in his sight? And so they developed this tradition of hand washing. Some people think that they're emulating what the priests did in, in the temple. And they, they brought in those priestly practices into their home. They wanted to honor God in that way. But it wasn't God's law that they were obeying, as Jesus says here. It was the commandments of man. It was the tradition of men. And, and so Jesus criticizes that when he quotes from Isaiah about teaching the doctrines of men as the commandments of God. This, this practice, this practice of ritual hand washing was an oral law that had developed over time. And it was very detailed. Um, According to what I read, it gave details about how precisely to wash your hands at the meal, when precisely to wash your hands at the meal, where to lay your napkin, when to sweep up and how to sweep up. I wouldn't mind having that list in our home at our family dinners you know, with our kids. Would to God that they would obey it. But the problem was that they thought by doing this, that this would somehow commend them to God. And we might be tempted to kind of just dismiss this as, as sort of religious OCD, you know, an obsession about something that really doesn't matter too much. But, but, but we need to kind of understand where the Pharisees and scribes are coming from in this. A great scholar of Judaism, Jacob Neusner, writes this about these sorts of laws. He says they were important to the Pharisees and the scribes because they could be extended to humble things that a person could actually control in life. It was a way for them to have guidance for everyday life in the little things and to remind them of the presence of God in the little things and to live with reverence even at the dinner table. So I think we can relate and appreciate, we can relate to and appreciate these motivations, you know, to have some control over something when it looks like Everything else is spinning out of control to be mindful of God in all things, good motivations. But the problem is, Jesus says, it's not really doing what they think it's doing. They think that this is protecting them from defilement. They think that this is protecting them from some sort of contagion. They understood defilement and, and being unclean before God as sort of a physical, material transaction. And so... That, that's why they separated from Gentile sinners. That's why they separated from the unwashed pagans. Because they had a, a kind of a superficial view of how a person is unclean before God. And it was a very material and physical view. And Jesus is saying, no, it has to do with what's inside of you, not what's on the outside. Um. I came across a, a quote recently that I, I think summarizes 
what Jesus thinks about this, this practice and, and this whole framework of understanding defilement as a material, physical reality, something external. The quote goes like this. It's kind of hard to follow, but I'll say it a couple of times. There is nothing more inefficient than to make efficient what is ineffective. There is nothing more inefficient than to make efficient what is ineffective. They had a very efficient system for keeping themselves pure before the Lord. It was elaborate. It was efficient, but it was ineffective. It didn't accomplish the goal that they intended. Because Jesus says it's not what's outside of you that makes you unclean. It's what's inside. It's not about your hands. It's about your heart. It's not what goes into the mouth. It's what comes out of the mouth because what you say reveals what's in your heart. That's what defiles a person. So the heart of the problem is the human heart. And that's important for us to just remember in terms of our own growth in Christ, our own maturity. We need to pay attention to what we are taking in to our heart, into our life, the core of our existence. We need to understand it's about what's happening inside of us. We also need to apply that thinking, I think, to our larger culture and what's happening in our larger culture. As we look at at division and hatred and racism and we see it on the news and we see the way that the culture is headed morally, we need to understand the, the solution to all this is that people's hearts are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, politics and law, they can help a little bit, but they can't get to the ultimate issue. Why are people acting so hateful? Why is there division? Why is there rage? It's a problem of the human heart. And so, until God deals with a person's heart, until we let God deal with our heart, we can't really move towards greater wholeness, holiness, authenticity, and away from hypocrisy and duplicity. And so Jesus begins to list the things that are in the heart that defile a person, he says. Verse 19, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. The Greek word there is is really any sexual relations outside of the boundaries that God has set in his word. Sexual immorality is any sexual relationship outside of the boundaries that God has set. Good boundaries, boundaries that aid human flourishing. And um, those those boundaries are marriage between a man and a woman and chastity and singleness out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness and slander. These are the things Jesus says that defile a person in Mark, chapter seven. It's the parallel passage to this. He gives a more extensive list. Now, these are just representative. They're not this is not an exhaustive list. It's just. He's indicating what's what's there inside of us. Mark seven, he adds deceit is in the heart. Coveting, envy, pride, foolishness, which in this context means moral recklessness. Wickedness, sensuality. These are all in the heart of a person. Well, Jesus wants us to pay attention, not to external appearances, but what's going on inside of us. You know, we're so fooled by external things as human beings, aren't we? 
We measure success, the success of a church by external things, things that we can measure, how many people are, are here, and, and, and we, when we count the numbers and we measure success, we're tempted to anyway measure success by external things. We're oftentimes shocked when, when we find out some, something about someone. How, how often do you hear in the news when somebody has committed a heinous crime and they interview their family or their neighbors? Now, sometimes people say, oh, it doesn't surprise me that that person did that. But how often do you hear, I would have never guessed. This person was so nice. This person was so friendly. They looked just like the average Joe. I could have never seen that coming. Because we're fooled by external appearances. I thought she was so sweet. I can't believe she would say something like that. Man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks on the outward appearance. That is sort of our default, how we measure things. But God looks at the heart. And Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We have to let God deal with the sickness That's at the core. See, the Pharisees had a very superficial view of sin. It was external. It was out there. It was those people. And Jesus is saying, let's look within and see what's going on in the heart. And so it it doesn't do us a whole lot of good if while we come to church and 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 take our place and, and play a part in church, it doesn't do us a whole lot of good if we don't let God deal with what is inside of us, in our hearts. That is the way of hypocrisy. And so, real simple application here for all of us. Do you see any of these things inside of you that Jesus talks about in these lists? In Matthew 15 and in Mark 7. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, False witnesses or slander. How about Mark 7? Deceit, coveting, pride, foolishness, wickedness, sensuality, and envy. How about those things that are in our heart? How about anger? It's not mentioned here, but again, this is a representative list. How about anger in our heart? How about the way that we're treating our spouses, our husbands, our wives? Our children, our co-workers, our parents. Jesus wants us to take an inventory of what's inside of us. And I'm not saying this to lay a burden of guilt on us. I'm saying this because when we understand that, that this is what God's standard is, none of us meet it, and we all fall short, and that should drive us to the cross of Jesus Christ and the mercy of God and the forgiveness that's offered there and the renewal through the Holy Spirit that can happen as we come to a place of honesty. Uh, Being aware of this level of sin in our life should drive us to the mercy of God. That's what Paul's writing about in our epistle reading. Paul's wrestling. He's heartbroken that that his fellow Jews have not all come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he's wrestling with that. And he understands that this is a time of disobedience. And um, 
that the Gentiles have disobeyed, but God has been merciful on the Gentiles in Christ, and that the Jews are in a period, some of them, of disobedience to the gospel, but God is going to show eventually mercy upon them. And so he says that God has consigned all of us. All of us are disobedient. All of us have fallen short. Why? In order that he might demonstrate his mercy. That he might have mercy on all. And so let's look at our hearts this morning, friends, to see what's there. Do we see sin? Do we see hypocrisy? And then confess that to the Lord who is merciful and allow his forgiveness and his healing and his renovation to, to begin to work on the inside. You know, it's a renovation project. The rectory's being renovated right now. We're almost at the end. It's been ongoing. It feels like it's going to go on forever, but the renovation is finally going to come to an end, the rectory. But when it comes to our Christian life, this renovation project goes on forever until we get to heaven. But we have to let the Holy Spirit deal with what's inside of us. So this is what happened in Max Lucado's life. He, he hated feeling like a hypocrite. And so this is what he did. He said, I threw the can of beer in the trash that very moment. I sat in my car and I prayed for a long time. And then I went to church and I had a meeting with the elders. And I told them what had been happening in my life. And they pronounced God's forgiveness over me. And then he said, our church began to confess openly. People began to confess some things that they were hiding in their lives. And we didn't get weaker as a church. We got stronger as we were honest before the Lord and with one another. You know, as I was working on this, this sermon about hypocrisy, the Lord brought some things to my mind that I needed to deal with. And it's like I can't really preach this sermon on hypocrisy without coming clean or I'll be a complete hypocrite. <laughs> and so I had to talk to some people. I had to talk to somebody in this parish about some honesty issues that I had in an exchange with him. And uh, as the saying go, confession may be bad for the reputation, but it's good for the soul. It's good for the soul. Will you come clean with the Lord this morning? Let's not be satisfied with the outward appearance. Let's come to a merciful and gracious Savior. Be assured once again of the forgiveness of our sins and allow the Holy Spirit to do this renovating work. Amen.